I think you should build a career in data science. Welcome to Build a Career in Data Science. I'm your host, Jacqueline Nolis. And I'm your co-host, Emily Robinson. This podcast is a data download into all the non-technical knowledge and skills you'll need to succeed in a data science career. In season one, each episode is a chapter from our book, also called Build a Career in Data Science. You can buy the book at bestbook.cool and get 40% off with the code BUILDBOOK40%. But you don't have to, if you don't have it yet, you won't get any less enjoyment out of the podcast. But the keyword there is yet, because you should go buy it. So it's aspirational. Someday, <laughs> someday you will buy it. Someday. So this week, we are talking about uh, we are talking about stakeholders, and I was, I've been I've been waiting I've been waiting for this episode. So I'm really excited because I really just want to do stakeholders, 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 stakeholders. Have you ever seen that Steve no. Ballmer speech? Okay, I was like, is this a reference that with to something? Oh, this is, okay. Yeah, yeah, no, it is. In like it like it must have been the early 2000s. Steve Ballmer gave a speech to like 10,000 developers. He just developers, 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 and he's sweaty and gross. And it's I don't know. You can watch it on YouTube. Okay. And anyway, I just really want to do that about stakeholders the exciting people that data scientists need to survive, Woo. just like Microsoft needs developers. Yeah, I mean, not quite to like survive in the wilderness, but that's right to survive in their, in their jobs, maybe. Uh, <laughs> yes, so... Uh, you're, you're only given a knife, a, a one, one match, and a stakeholder. <laughs> Please survive, yeah. <laughs> yeah, so um, I'm excited about this. So this is uh, chapter 12 of our book, and... Uh, I think, you know, it's, it's important because one of the, we have interviews at the end of each chapter and in our epilogue, we talk about some themes that came up across interviews. So even though the interview was focused on the topic of that chapter, you know, there were some underlying principles that came out. And one of them was the importance of communication. And this comes into play in like a couple of different areas, but the biggest I think is working with stakeholders. And just basically this is like, almost everyone said like, this is a really important skill. Um, it can be overlooked because when people think of the things they need to get into data science, like, oh my God, I got to learn like all the technical stuff. I got to like learn Python and deep learning and computer vision and Docker and this and this and this. And like, yeah, there's certainly a foundational level you need of those technical skills and certain projects you'll need to, uh, you know, advance your skills in that. But basically on, for any of your work to succeed, you need to be good at working with stakeholders. Uh, what are stakeholders? Stakeholders are literally any human being who has a stake in your work, whether it's like, you know, engineering, relying on your stuff, uh, business people who are going to use the d- data you you have to help make decisions. But like stakeholder management is all of that stuff that's not technical, that's relating to other people, that is like kind of super important for this job. Or, or another way to think about it is that, you know, data science can't exist in a vacuum. Like you can't, it's pretty much impossible to have a company that all you do is data science and like there's nothing else there. Like data science supports other things. You use data science to help people make decisions with decision science. Analysts use data science principles to get data to people. Um, If you're putting machine learning into production, you are writing code that other people call on their the company website or as part of the product. But like There are interfaces between you and the customer. And so like pretty much anything you're going to do is really just at the service of someone else in the company. And so it's really important that you um, think about who you are servicing and helping out. Um, Like that that stuff, it's just never going to go away so long as you are a data scientist. Yeah, and I like that you brought that up because I think some people could be like, oh, what if I'm like, you know, and... 
ML engineer or I'm, you know, basically like in an academic research role. And they're like, mm, like you might have to, it certainly varies across roles, how much you have to do and who exactly your stakeholders are. But I think just like making an analysis, which we talked about in episode 10, like there's no position where you don't have to do any stakeholder management. Because as we talk about, one of the stakeholders is your manager and everyone has a manager or should have a manager. And my stakeholder just came in. Hi, Yeti. Uh, I don't know why I got a dog deposited, but he's here now. <laughs> well, I mean, Clark got a supercut meowing, That's so maybe right. Yeti deserves his friendly podcast. Bring your pets when you're listening. Maybe our got dogs you. and cat barking and meowing will get your pets to be excited. Um, but yeah, I think, yes, it does vary, I think, what particular role you're in. And a lot of times, what level you're in. You know, a more senior person probably has to do more stakeholder management, but it's always there. Um, someone's paying your paycheck, you know? <laughs> yeah, and actually, I think that's, um, I want to chat that a little bit, because I think, you know, people can think, okay, to become senior, the most senior people, right? Uh, like, wow, those must be the most like technically advanced, like they're doing the hardest technical problem. And that's true for some folks. Um, but actually for a lot of them, you, you end up doing, even if you don't go down the manager path, you're a senior individual contributor, you still can end up doing like less hands-on coding because exactly what you said, Jack, what you're doing instead is meeting with stakeholders, is thinking big picture, is trying to get contacts of, of what problems should be working on. If your uh, team is blocked on something, you know, talking to the, uh, to the other team they're working with, figuring out how to solve that. Um, I just read a really good book that I recommend called Staff Engineer by Will Larson, which is a new book. And uh, it's around sort of what it sounds like of like, uh, what's it like operating at a staff plus level? So this is like staff, principal, might be called architect. And he, and he uh, interviews a bunch of people in the book and he talks about, you know, how do you do well at this role? And yeah, a lot of it he says there are a few people who are what are called solvers. So they d- dive very deep into like specific technical problems. Um, but actually most people are not that. And they're more like a team lead or an architect, like thinking uh, about how to guide a certain team or like guide a certain portion of, of your, your, your product or your engineering system. And yeah, those people, when he talks to them, they're like, yeah, what I, I actually spend a lot more time in meetings than I used to. And it's a different type of role. So I do just want to put that out there is if that's something you're thinking about eventually, like these are very important uh, skills to work on because not only is it around working effectively in that role, but these types of skills, uh, communication and, and advocacy are also what you're going to need, honestly, to get promoted after a certain level because it's not just going to be an automatic uh, sort of thing like, oh, okay, most people progress from junior to senior once they've been there a couple of years. Uh, you really, there's a lot of moving parts and getting that kind of coveted staff position. Yeah, you know, it's funny. I remember when I was um I was early on in my career, probably like my first job. I remember just this feeling, this like general understanding of like, yeah, some people are good at data science or not or whatever, but the people who are good at politics are the ones who get the promotions, right? Like, oh, it's just politics. And I remember this like weird like anger and resentment towards this idea of like, ah, just the political people are the ones who get ahead. And now that I'm more, you know, jaded and seasoned or whatever, it's like, no, it's the people who get ahead are the ones who like can do good data science and also can tell other people about that data science, explain why it's important and understand the problems that people have and use the data science to help those problems instead of just doing it in a vacuum. So all of this is to say that 
what's important isn't just how well you can, you know, fit models, but really like, are you fitting models to the right data sets? Are they solving the right problems? Like what, what is the actual businessy kind of objective you're trying to do here? And all that stuff is all like really at the end of the day, it's just managing the people you work with, AKA stakeholders. Um, and yeah. And like, I don't know, there's, once I got past that kind of like, you know, sophomoric <laughs> ah, politics, like my life got a lot easier. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's about like working effectively in teams, right? I think fortunately, we're seeing the industry go more towards kind of like on the extreme other end is like the toxic, like genius, quote unquote, right? Which is like, oh, this person is so smart technically, but they're, they berate their teammates, right? They're terrible to work with. And I think folks are realizing like, that person actually can't really be effective, right? Like you can say, quote unquote, genius, but if if they're bringing down the rest of the team, they are usually a net negative. So that that's obviously the extreme end. You can, uh, you know, where, where you're like, rather than being sort of like neutral, you're like actively bad at working with people. But yeah, I think, yeah, I just, I, I'm glad that I wanted to start this episode with talking about that because uh, before we dive into how to do it well, because just... Uh, really establishing that, yes, like this is a critical skill. And I'm also glad you brought up some personal barriers that people might have of like, I don't, you know, it should be like a meritocracy. And it's like, well, and I mean, meritocracy, that's a whole other subject, but in some ways it still kind of is, right? If you can't work effectively, if you can't communicate effectively, your work is not going to be valuable. It doesn't matter if you like made the, the, the best model, if you solve the wrong problem or like you can't convince anyone to put it into production. Yes. And by far the worst coworkers I've ever worked with fell into that genius category where they're like, oh, they're such a genius. Like those, mm-hmm. oh, those people. Oof. Okay. But like, let's, let's just for the listeners do an extreme like the the perf the person who is the best at working with stakeholders, the perfect, they're the data scientist who, you know, the product manager comes to them being like, hey, we're having this problem on the site. And the data scientist says, ah, do you mean blah, blah, blah? Or like, help me understand what your problem is. And they explain it. And the data scientist says, oh, that sounds like you could have a good use for a churn model or whatever. Let me go make a proof of concept. And then a week later, here, I made this proof of concept. What do you think about it? And the sequel is like, oh, this is perfect. Can you put it into production? They're like, yes. And then they go and do it. And then they see it like, ah, see, now it's in production. Look at the results we're getting. And the stakeholder says, ah, thank you. Now that I have these results, I can take them to my boss and get our whole team more funding. Thank you so much. And so like, there's a lot of back and forth there. There's a lot of understanding the problem, explaining the solutions, things like that. That is like the perfect ideal. The like worst, (laughs) here we go, here we go, the worst kind of other extreme that I think you started to highlight (laughs) is the person who's like, all I'd like doing is building neural networks, I'm going to build neural networks, and you can tell me to build a churn model, and I'll put it into a neural network, and then you got to figure out what to do with that, you know, like, (laughs) anything outside the realms of R or Python is not my problem, Um, and that person especially if they're the 10x programmer or whatever, then when everyone else in the company is like, oh, they're so smart. I They say words I don't understand. I guess it's because they're so smart. And it's like, really, no, they're not doing the stakeholder managing expectation, all that. And like, that's like, you don't want to be there. And the way you avoid that like bad state is by putting a lot of time into effort into thinking about, well, what are other people going to do with the stuff I make? And how can I be sure the stuff I'm making is what other people want? Um, yeah, I get really passionate about this because like, it's, it's so important. Yeah, so let's, uh, yes, I appreciate those two extreme. Now, why don't we start talking about the different types of stakeholders? So, you know, obviously, each, each person, right, is a, is a special snowflake. But 
um, we can we can start with thinking of grouping people by their jobs. Um, so I'm just going to sort of give an overview of four stakeholders that you could have. So one is engineers, or other people in very technical role, but not data scientists. Uh, next is just a very broad group called like business people. So maybe that's a product manager or a marketing person or the customer service lead. Then we have uh, executive uh, leadership, which could either be a little more towards the technical side, if that's the CTO, or the business side, if that's like the CEO. But I would still, I still think there's like different stuff once someone has uh, gotten to that level. And then uh, finally, your manager, as we mentioned. And I think we've talked about your manager a lot on this uh, podcast and how important that relationship can be. And that's a little bit of a different one because usually depends on the team, but often you're not like delivering their work product, your work product directly to them. You're delivering it to another team. But of course, your work uh, really reflects on them as well. So they're like an important stakeholder in how you're doing. Yeah. And I think... um depending on what role you are, you'll get different amounts of these different stakeholders. But really, in like any data science role, you will probably have some interaction with some of these people. Um, so like, for instance, if you're a machine learning engineer, so you are writing code to put in production, you will constantly be having to work with engineers because they will need to run your code for you or call your APIs that you make or things like that. And so there, it's like a really like peer-to-peer conversation of like, hey, I need to like I need to write code that you can run and you need to be able to tell me what are the constraints the code will run on like oh it can't be it's only going to get 4 gigs of memory so use that be sure when you're training your models it can handle that and um so that's like a real peer to peer conversation and a very technical one because both parties are technical but something like oh you need to present to the CEO well that's something or like an executive that's much more something like well if you're a decision scientist your whole job is to help the company do well by um you know uh using data to try and, you know, flesh out ideas and validate ideas. And so, um, but that's like not a peer relationship at all. That's you're going to someone who's super senior in the company and you may be delivering bad news, you know, and like how, you know, you you have to think about like, well, what am I going to do to um, make sure this is an open conversation? Accounting for the fact that that person is the head of the company and you are often a lowly data scientist with, (laughs) with, you know, a a thimble of data. (laughs) Yes. And I think, uh, you know, in terms of thinking about like, okay, how do you work effectively with each type? Um, you know, think about what, what are they interested in, right? And what previous kind of knowledge do they have? So with an executive, for example, uh, you know, usually they're very busy. They have a lot of meetings. And often, as you said, Jacqueline, right, it's often you're, you're giving them data so they can make a decision. Um, or sometimes you're not quite sure what the decision is, but you know, they, they need to be informed of this thing because they were curious about like, oh, how does, you know, thing X affect Y? Um, so how, uh, we saw a, a dip in the, you know, monthly sales last month. Why was that? Um, where should we put our next lab, et cetera? Um, so when you're thinking about that, you're thinking about, okay, uh, one, uh, kind of common piece of advice, which I think is kind of good for anyone you're working with, but expected, especially executives, is giving up front a high-level summary and saying, okay, basically, like, very broadly, what did we do and what conclusion did we come to? So this brings us back to chapter 10 when we talked about presenting analyses, right? You having some opinion. It could be, like, we still don't know, right? Like, we looked at all this stuff and it's still not clear, but you have to have some opinion. And 
they probably don't care about the technical details. Like you don't want to be like, here is our model and here are all the like coefficients or whatever. Um, whereas, I don't know, if you're presenting to the other data scientists and knowledge thing, like that may absolutely be what they cared about. And they want to know, like, did you use tidy models? Uh, you know, or did you use like the scikit-learn or whatever? Uh, so just really thinking about, okay, what do they want to get out of what I'm delivering to them? Is it like technical knowledge? Is it I need to incorporate the model that you're using into my work and know how to call the API. So I might want to know some technical details for that. Is it I want to know the results so I can make a decision? Is it I'm the product manager and this is uh, my product, so I want a 30-page report on it because I really want something in-depth? Uh, and that can help you uh, you know, guide how you're going to give them this information and communicate to them. Yeah, and it's usually not super deep. It's not like ah, you need to like Sherlock Holmes them and look at the like, ah, if I, if I look at the scuff marks on their shoe, you can tell they really secretly cared about this. You know, it's like, it's not super deep. Usually it's pretty obvious of like, hey, the CEO is concerned that the company is not making enough money and we're going to start like having to lay off people or something. So like, hey, be extra cautious about, you know, how you deliver bad news. Or hey, the engineering team got burned last month because the code we, re- we released had to be rolled back. They're really going to want to care about, hey, is our... um. Is our code going to be more stable this time? It's usually not super deep, but also it's still a step that it's an easy step that if you're in the middle of making a model and stuff, it's very easy to not think about other people and just kind of focus on, you know, your your particular task. Uh, and I think, yeah, just really just doing that like cursory, like what do you, what would they care about goes a long way. Yeah. And I think, uh, so we talk about like some general principles in our book. And I think uh, one thing that we mentioned on the podcast before is importance here of giving consistent communication. Uh, so what I mean is that sometimes it can feel like, okay, like we agreed with the stakeholder, we made an analysis plan, like, let me just go execute it. Um, and this came out actually when our previous jobs where we were like, okay, we made an agreement with them, like, all right, we'll deliver some results at the end of the month. And we were totally on track for that. And we were like getting ready. We got an email from the stakeholder a couple of days and just saying like, Hey, checking in, like, are we still on track to have this at the end of the month? And that hadn't really occurred to me. I was like, Oh, you know, we had agreed to this. And so like, I just, you know, assumed that they would assume we would do it, but you know, that it doesn't, and it's not a big deal, but in that case, I was like, Oh, it probably wouldn't hurt just to give them an update. And say, like, to proactively say, like, hey, just wanted to let you know everything's going along. Um, we'll be, you know, in Beast, we'll be sending you a report on the state, and then we'll make a meeting the following week to go over the results. So that kind of thinking um, is an area where, you know, I think my deep anxiety actually is vaguely helpful. <laughs> because, like, to, to me, like, a thing I think now is, like, oh, my God, has the stakeholder, are they worrying about, like, mm-hmm. what, you know, like, are they worrying? Do they know what's going on? Are they freaking out right now? And so I'll overly email, like, hey, heads up, like, that sort of thing I probably over-index on because I have so much anxiety that the stakeholder's worried. But, um, yeah, I think that's a really helpful thing of, like, like, hey, communicate and let them know stuff, um, even if it feels like I, it's rare. It's rare that I've seen people be like, you are communicating too much. I've, I've rarely heard that from anyone to anyone, but I've certainly heard a lot of, man, I wish they talked to me more. So I think it's also important to communicate upfront about like, to make sure that your expectations are on the same level. So for example, let's say the stakeholders coming and they're like, Hey, you know, we've been thinking, uh, you know, we get, uh, I think we get, we're 
probably getting some good customer feedback about what kind of products we can consider in our emails. Like, could you know, would we be able, but you know, we get, we have hundreds of thousands of customer emails. We can't just go through them all. Do you think you would be able to help parse that out? And like you on the data science team might be like, yeah, so here's, you know, here's what we can do. Let's, uh, um, you know, but first you might say, oh, I've, you know, we've never worked with customer email data before. So we want to, you know, check and make sure that we store that because maybe who knows we delete it after 30 days. So you could say like, all right, like we're going to, yeah, so we'll check the availability. Um, if it's available, yes, we can, we can, um, build some, uh, you know, do some text analysis on it. But yeah, I want to say it's, it's possible that we won't be able to, you know, find clear signals about whether we can, uh, you know, uh, what new products that we should launch. So just kind of setting expectations. Cause if you're like, Oh, we're going to build this prediction model, or whatever. If you say it just like that, they're going to assume you're going to like, or we're going to predict like how much this thing, you know, should cost or whether someone will come back. You want to make sure they understand. Okay. Are you pretty confident you could build a, a, a very good model? Or is this something that like you're going to try, but there may not be anything workable there? Yeah. And I think this is extra tricky because a lot of times the reason why something succeed or fail is a fairly technical one. So you could be like, they might be like, hey, can you make a real-time API of this existing model? And you might be like, uh, potentially, but we're not sure that TensorFlow will work in a, you know, API setting within our existing Java services or something. And like to a stakeholder who is a non-technical person, that might just sound like, wow, you just said a lot of fake words that mean nothing. And so, <laughs> so it's hard to, like the trick here is how do you convey to the person, like here's the level of risk you should be thinking might happen. Or like, you know, we think this is probably going to work or probably won't work or might work, but it'll take a while in a way that you may not be able to explain the nuances of exactly why or why not without like getting totally lost in the the weeds there. Yeah. Um, you know, I think, I think in the, the kind of, um, next segment, we're going to talk a little bit about like some reality check stuff. But part of this is like, there's not, it's funny because you said initially like the perfect communicator. I think like that doesn't actually exist. Like there is no one who give them any stable, any context, right? They will like perfectly be able to like work out and like no roadblocks, no stakeholders ever left unhappy or whatever. Like it's, it's, it's hard. Like these things are tricky. Um, you know, a strategy that may be successful with one team of engineers may totally fail with another. Um, and so these are just sort of like practices and guidelines. Uh, but there's no, you know, secret formula out there that will like be like guaranteed success every time. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's like, what's hard about dealing with stakeholders? Like, what's the difficulty? It's like one understanding other human beings is hard, right? It's hard to know, hey, what is the person's real intent? And like, hey, what level of technical understanding will they have? And that sort of thing. That's hard. Two, sometimes you got to deliver information they're not going to like. And no matter how good that is, um, or sometimes they're not going to like include you in the meetings that that are important or like not convey, you know, not let you help make the decision about something that is extremely, like, you are by far the the biggest expert, right? Like, sometimes they do human stuff. That's hard. Um, and then it's also hard just because it's, like, it's hard, like, like, some of this is, like, you're really getting down to, like, the stuff that make people good at, like, designing, like, an entire product, which is, like, a whole separate skill of, like, like you know, understanding a user's needs and, like, understanding, like, what is, you know, like, the, the old Ford thing of, like, if you just ask, everyone would want, you know, a, a, just a new model of horse, and not ask for a car, right? Like, like, part of it is, like, you have to be able to, like, proactively know what people want and know how to turn that into what they actually want. 
instead of think they want. And like, these are all hard things. And that's all hard things that is unrelated to fitting a TensorFlow model, right? Like it's totally non-technical. Um, and so it's kind of like, I can see why it is frustrating when people um, people say, ah, the most important thing to data science is communication, which is a thing that repeatedly was said over the course of making this book by us and other people. And like, that's true, but also like, where's the, the you know, like, like, how do you learn this? Like, like this, like that is so hard. Like, I don't know. I, I want to have empathy for, for the people out there listening. Yeah. And it reminds me, I was talking to a principal data scientist recently and he said, well, one, you know, a lot, like, again, it's sort of thinking about like, okay, base level of competency versus like, you're like really good at this. And he was saying there aren't a lot of people who are really, really good at both kind of the deeper technical stuff and the stakeholder. Like there's some people, right, who are like enough to get by and whatnot in both. But it's hard to be good at both. And even the people who are really good at both, it's very hard to do both at the same time because it's just like totally different brains. Right? If you're trying to solve a, a like really deep, complicated tech, uh, you know, technical problem, it's really hard at the same time to also be thinking like, oh, does a stakeholder need updates? Like, oh, I have to like attend this meeting. Like, oh, there's this like, you know, context thing, right? It's just like when, when people say, uh, you know, sort of joking about like, engineers and our technical people in meetings, it's like you have a one hour meeting and it ruins like, you know, the hour before and the hour after, um, because you have to kind of contact switch that meeting. I think it's just that was helpful for me, because I know sometimes I'd be like this quarter, I'm going to work on this really technical, like I'm going to, you know, beyond my projects I'm doing, I'm going to try to advance in this really technical way. And then also in the soft skill way. And it was just really hard to be working on those two things at once. Uh, and, and why don't we take a break and come back? So this is extremely, extremely like 40-year-old man voice. This company hasn't always done things right, but they're always trying and they're still at it. This week's sponsor is Pie Charts. Pie Charts may have seemed like they have been canceled with how often people are using them improperly in ways that are difficult to convey and understand. However, if you want to show a simple percentage in a visual manner, there is nothing better than a pie chart. Keep the number of components in that chart low, avoid 3 d strange effects, and have a delicious, wholesome pie when you need it. Pie charts, mmm. <laughs> pie charts do have a bad reputation. This is true. their PR push. Um, they're trying so hard. This is their thing. Yeah. They're trying. They're it's like trying. Domino's like, when they change their sauce. Us. Like, that's pie charts. <laughs> yeah. Domino's is like the one place that delivers here. So I will admit to sometimes eating Domino's. I really like Domino's, my delivery of choice. I know. Let's let's see the tweets yeah. coming around from that one. Oh, I know. I do. Oh, I miss New York pizza. Instead, we just order on Gold Belly all the time. Um, <laughs> anyway, where we get pizza from New York. Yeah. Okay. Stakeholders. <laughs> um. <laughs> yes. Uh, so, you know, I feel like in this, in this, in the first part of the podcast, right, we, talked about what stakeholders are, some general principles, different types of stakeholders. But, you know, we also started talking about like, this is hard, but it's important. And so like, I wanted to really like talk about, all right, how, you know, we, you know, we probably convinced people it's important. Like, how can you get better, right? Like beyond just like, just practice, which like, you know, I do think is a real thing. Um, what are, what are some ways you, you can, you can get better? So first off, I love the brutal honesty of this podcast, whereas whereas you might go to a blog post that says, here's how you instantly are good at managing stakeholders. Mm -mm. This podcast is the real deal where we're just whining like, this is hard. Like, that's right. That's the raw truth. Go to career data science, the podcast. Um, Yeah. No, I do think there are. (laughs) I do think there are things you can do to get better at this. Um, The biggest thing is just 
and this is like, it's sort of a cop-out answer, but like the biggest thing is I think time and exposure, right? AKA practice. The more you (laughs) practice, yeah, the more you go and talk to stakeholders and have meetings and present in front of people, you will get better. You will get better by being bad at it a lot, right? Like you will... Like, gosh, the the things I've messed up in meetings and like, that's bad. But then the meetings after those meetings, I don't mess that up as much. Um, so it's really like, I think there's a real value in just getting out there. And I think as a data scientist, it's very easy to try and be like, well, I'm just going to kind of stay in my corner and do my like modeling and not really try and think about that other stuff because that's so scary. But like the more you, you face head on the, no, I'm going to talk more to people outside my team, organization, group. Um, the, I, I think that's a huge like, you know, way to gain growth quickly. Yeah. And I think, uh, you know, so that's kind of like some ways like generating feedback for yourself, right? Like you're observing like, oh, this was effective. This wasn't that effective. Maybe sometimes like, I think it's pretty rare, like a stakeholder will say like that report sucked, right? It's more you start inferring like, oh, they don't take the action that I you know, wanted them to do, or they looked really confused during the presentation or, uh, they asked a lot of these questions and like thinking afterwards, like, oh, maybe I should have included that directly in the report. Uh, so that's kind of one way. But I think also you know, getting feedback from other data scientists can be really helpful. So this can be either uh, before you send something to a stakeholder, uh, like sending like, hey, like I'm you know, planning to send this report or this is a template I'm going to use for uh, showing experiment results and getting feedback. Or if you're working directly with another data scientist on a project and they're in uh, meetings with you, like debriefing with them afterward, be like, hey, like I was seeing this, like, you know, what do you think about how that went? And that's a way that people who have that time and exposure that you don't have yet, it can help accelerate some of that learning for you. Yeah, I think that debriefing's good. And like, it's kind of that debriefing paired with like, you're, you have to be like hypersensitive to awkward, I think a little bit. Like if you're giving your presentation and like, you know, you have a slide and you're trying to convey a point, but like your audience is just kind of like looking confused. And then you try again and they look more confused. And then someone's like, can we just kind of move on? Like, you're like, oh, that felt a little awkward. Like that's, that awkward (laughs) is the sign of like, hey, if there's, if you're feeling a little awkward, that means that like your expectation of how well something went did not align with how well it actually went. So there's probably a room for improvement there. Um, my favorite tip to how to get better at this stuff is find someone who is better at you than better at it than you are and like stare at them constantly. (laughs) Like, like, no, really, like I've learned the most from stakeholder management from just having one particularly good boss that I was just in meetings and I'm like, oh my goodness, he's doing such a good job of talking to these other people. How do I become him? And like, I look like, you know, like I noticed, oh, wow, he really pauses a lot before he responds. So it like gives him time to think and he sounds confident or like, oh, he doesn't get panicked when someone says something he disagrees with, you know, like, like, like that sort of thing. So in addition to what you were saying about people telling you what they like, people giving you feedback who are also in the room, also just you like proactively watching the people who are good and trying to steal their secrets. Yeah. And this doesn't just have to be someone at your company, although I think that's the most effective, right? You could look like, you know, data visualization is something that's that's written about a lot. And you could, you know, look at people's, uh, you know, like, like that you admire their graphs and understand, okay, why is this graph so effective? Like, how would I have maybe done this graph? And like, why do I think that, you know, this way conveys more information or it's, or it's, uh, you know, it's simpler or it's like their use of colors is really good. So you know, I think obviously it's it's best if you're at a company, but I know we might have some aspiring data scientists here. It's like, yeah, but I'm not, you know, I'm not working as a data scientist yet. But even if you aren't, if you're working in any kind of role, 
like, you know, it's, it's not like working with stakeholders is an exclusive thing to data science. Like, yes, maybe some specifics about presenting an analysis is around that, but a lot of roles you have to work with people on other teams. So you can observe, like, even if you're in marketing right now, maybe if, if the VP of marketing is really good at presenting to executives and you're able to like, look at their slides, even talk to them about how they do it and be like, Hey, you know, why did, why did it work this way? Uh, like that's something you can practice even before you become a data scientist. Yeah. And I will say, um, use stuff that happens outside your company, like a, take it with a grain of salt. Like for instance, when I was, you know, years ago, I went to one of those Edward Tuft, like, like all day lectures on how to do good data visualizations where they give you the free books and like you get the four books from this and everyone, like lots of people on their data science desk have these four books. Anyways, it's like Edward Tuff has this whole like lecture tour about PowerPoint is bad. You need to make beautiful graphics. Don't show stuff on screen, print it off. And like, I think that stuff is kind of good, but also it's totally unrelated to like, no one has the time to make every visualization look as good as he wants it to. And you set an unreasonable bar for yourself if you're like, ah, oh, I'm like, this is this is a bad stakeholder management visualization because I didn't do the Edward Tuft method. You know, like, like it's easy. Any blog post, any external speaker, they don't have the constraints you have. So anything that happens internal to your company or like, like next to you is like 10 times more valuable, I would say, than things that happen outside. Which is not to say that stuff's not useful, but just like, you know, like put, a, put some uh, warnings on it. That's fair. And I think also what it's helpful for looking inside is like, how can you save some of that time, right? So for example, um, is there a slide deck that is like in your company colors and has some images or whatever, right? And like a slide template, and you can use that for your presentations. Or can you take a little bit of time and build uh, a small internal package that, uh, you know, you could have like a, um, I think Julia Silge's like talked about this, but this is fairly common where people will build a theme package that will like change their graphs, like one in some ways that they just like, like, oh, I don't like a gray background, I like a white, but also, all right, let me have the default colors be my company colors, right? And like little things like that, like you spend a little time once, uh, can sometimes have a disproportionate effect. And then like, okay, once I take the time, like, what are the company colors? Like, let me build this theme. And then like every plot you make from then on, you could just be like, plus theme my company. Do you, do you know, I, every new job I start, if that doesn't exist, the first thing I do at the job is make my own theme pack because I care so much. Yeah, it's always, <laughs> yeah, it's always existed at the companies <sighs> I've gone to. But yes, like, like, even though it sounds a little like the colors and the fonts, like, especially with business folks, it can just, it, it it's, can be surprising of how much of an effect you have, even if you're presenting literally the same data. Well, yeah, and even not just like, I, I think the colors and theming, like that stuff matters, but also like, is the font readable? Is it like, is it, mm-hmm, um, sure. did you copy and paste an image and it's really pixelated and also everything's in scientific notation, right? It's just like, it's kind of just, again, understanding the target audience a little bit more than, than you know, default settings. Yeah, and... Uh, you know, one of the last thing I want to say is also like resources out there, right? So we have uh, recommended resources at the end of each of the four parts of our book. Um, so there are certainly a lot of resources for data visualization specifically, but that's kind of just one component. Um, there's also one for uh, general communication skills, right? Like learning um, even things that are, are in no way, maybe even about like work specifically, uh, can be really helpful. So there's uh, one book called Nonviolent Communication that I like. I think Jacqueline, you had a couple others that you recommended uh, in the resource section. But you know, like those principles of how to, um, I don't know, like say no effectively, how to 
uh, you know, present information that someone may be unhappy with, how to, res- you know, negotiate conflict, like all of those can come into, into play in a, in a work environment. And so sometimes these more general purpose books can actually be really useful. I think another thing I'm just like, I'm I, as you're talking, I'm like staring off into the horizon. I'm like, <laughs> what are the things that have helped me most manage stakeholders? A thing that's helped me a lot. Another thing that's helped me a lot. We haven't necessarily talked about is actually like having to manage a project a little bit. So like the difference between being a data scientist who is giving input to a project and being a person who has to coordinate the whole project I have found is massive, which is to say like, if you have to like, if you have to coordinate between three people to get something done, being the person who does the coordination, you will have, you are forced to learn how to manage stakeholders because you have to, you know, be like checking in with the people doing, you know, like doing, so like, let's say, sorry, for example, let's say you're doing a data science project, but the modeling is so complex that like three people have to be doing the modeling right? Like being the person who like emails those people and checks in, how's it going? Hey, let me tell you that the code you just wrote doesn't quite link up with my code and blah, blah. That kind of thing is super, it's like, I would call that project management. That is super valuable for being a good, good at stakeholder management. And a very good way to get that is to have a like lightly leadership role in any sort of work you're doing on your team, which is to say, if you want to get better at this stuff, try and see if there are opportunities where you can step up a little bit and often this happens by like three people are working on a project together and no one's being the leader and like managing it and like being the person to be like, you know what, I'm going to try and make sure we're all talking like that can really, really help. Yeah, I agree. I also want to give a shout out here to um, Tanya Riley, who wrote a, a great talk called Being Glue. And basically what this talk is about is. Um, I'm not, she might be the first person to really define it called a glue work, which is, it's sort of the stakeholder work. So she's specifically coming from an engineering stand, uh, standpoint, but like what she's talking about is the kind of work that you're like, our team doesn't have any onboarding process. And like, that makes it really hard for new hires. Like, let me write some documentation or, um, wow, you know, like we really don't have a good, uh, project management system. Like, let me work on that. Or these people aren't talking to each other. Let me work on that. Or this project doesn't have documentation. Let me do that. And she talks about this and she gives it a little bit as a warning because what can happen sometimes is like, while that is critical for uh, senior engineers, this type of work, as we talked about in the first part of the podcast, it can actually hold you back sometimes from becoming a senior because it can take away time from deepening your technical skills. So when it comes to promotion time, it's like, even though you did all this work that enabled the projects to happen, you might not necessarily have something to point to like, hey, I built this app, like I launched this thing. Um, like I did the code for this and that can, uh, you know, depending on the career ladder of your company, how much they recognize glue work, what's expected kind of, uh, so the staff in book I talked about, usually there's expected to have like a staff project, um, at, at places, which is basically like a kind of gnarly, uh, multiple team engineering project. And, and, uh, you're meant to both lead it, but also do the technical work on it, uh, that, that it can hold you back. So I highly recommend checking out that talk. I think it's a little less applicable to data science because I think it's more often recognized as kind of glue work in data science, especially when it's glue work around stakeholder glue work, not sort of internal team. But I do want to put it there as, you know, I I, I think you could come out of this podcast otherwise being like, I'm going to just think about like stakeholder stuff, right? And that may end up holding you back um, if you don't also spend some time developing uh, like like continuing to develop your technical skills as well. Yeah, I agree. It, it really depends on your level how much you should be doing of this. 
Um, and I think, yeah, I think there's a lot of low hanging glue, fruit, low hanging glue um, in data science. Like, like, hey, if your team puts code into production, who's writing the documentation around like what each endpoint does and what we're expecting? That's incredibly valuable. That's stakeholder management. That's the thing that some people kind of might be like, I'm not going to do it. I'll wait for someone else on the team to do it. And um, that stuff, you know, like that's all stuff that grows your experience in managing stakeholders. Yeah, but I do think you want to understand, is this thing that's going to, if I'm interested in getting a promotion to senior or like staff level, is this thing that's going to be recognized or will I be dinged because I spent time doing that instead of, I, I, I don't even know what, like making another machine learning model. Yeah. And I mean, there's also, you could be writing documentation for code that's about to be turned off, right? Like that, that <laughs> like if you like made, like, like it's very easy to burn a lot of time in that in a ways that even isn't useful for the company, but like think about it, right. but don't or think too much about yeah. it. Yeah. Right, or like endlessly tweaking a graph, right? And being like, oh my God, I, like, and that like delays your presentation to a stakeholder by a week because you just end up going this deep rabbit hole. Yeah, but just maybe to say, like, maybe it's like this is a bimodal thing. There are some people, some junior data scientists and senior, some data scientists who don't think about stakeholder management that much mm-hmm. and could more think on that could go a long way. And there may be some people who are already thinking about it a lot, in which case, don't do what we just said because you'll do it too much and then you won't get promoted. Um, but like, try and understand yourself and understand where you are. That actually reminded me, I had one other point I was going to make on stakeholder management, which is a, more than I think most other kind of parts of being a data scientist, this is one where understanding myself has been valuable. Yes. Right? So like, for instance, I'm a very anxious person has come up several times in this podcast. And so it's very easy for me to be like, oh my goodness, something's going wrong and that's gonna be really bad and we're all gonna panic now. And the thing I've had to learn is I need to hold it back a little bit because if the moment I start feeling panicked, I email a bunch of other people, I it's very easy for me to cause an immense amount of chaos. And I only learned that by thinking very deeply about myself and like kind of doing that. Whereas like, how do you code a neural network? What, I don't know why I keep saying, talk about neural networks today. How you code a neural network, it has nothing to do with my personality or things like that. Which is to say that like part of being good at stakeholder management is like just knowing yourself and like knowing yourself includes, hey, do you need to think about managing stakeholders well? Or hey, you know, you're probably already good enough. Don't keep tweaking the graphs. Think about some other areas to improve. Yeah. And, you know, in terms of how do you know yourself, I, like reflecting, like I think reading some of these general communication books is kind of helpful because you're like, oh, do I fall in this pattern? But also if you can afford it, honestly, like therapy, therapy's great. Uh, I'm kind of serious because I think you, right, you start learning stuff about yourself. And one, it's not just awareness, but sometimes you can also work to, you know, for example, if, if you're very anxious to maybe diffuse anxiety, right, to like have some strategies of, okay, rather than emailing people in a panic, like, Take a deep breath, right? Like pause, step back, like check my assumptions here, uh, right? So it can help you just develop coping techniques, I guess. Yeah, yes. And especially because, you know, we talk about toxic workplaces and things like that sometimes on this podcast. The place that shows up more than anywhere else is in stakeholder management, right? You have a stakeholder who's toxic, who gaslights you. Like, why isn't this thing done? I didn't know you needed it. Well, you should have known, like like that kind of, or like, you know, like that kind of like, bad coworker behavior often shows up in these stakeholder situations. And like, how do you handle if you have a boss who is saying stuff to you that is like workplace abusive? How do you like, how do you manage that? How do you think about that? How do you not let that get to you and make you feel like you're a failure? Um, that all gets wound up in here. And like, yeah, therapy is great. Yeah, that, that's why. Uh, so we gave a little real talk before, right about, um, right, like, this is hard. I, I want to add to this as well. Um, 
you know, two things. One is sometimes you just won't, you will have to escalate up to your manager, basically. So for example, if you're working with a product team and the director is, uh, you know, they are, have their bonus structure based on like how many experiments like, you know, are, are, are successful or launched and like, you know, have, have revenue attributed to them. And to get to that, they're really pushing for you to like end uh, test early, right? As soon as it becomes significant, which like you as a data scientist, you're like, oh, that's peaking, right? That's going to inflate our false positive rate. And you may try talking with them and you may just be hitting a wall because they're just really motivated. Like if there's any plausible story they think they can tell about launching it to do it. And that may be where like you have to escalate up to a manager. You have to be like, hey, like here's what's happening. Um, because sometimes like that situation maybe can only be resolved kind of peer to peer. Um, and I just, you know, I wanted to put that in as a little bit of a reality check of like, it's okay if sometimes like you're, 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 you're hitting a wall and at least bringing it up to your manager. And this may be a situation where they're like, yeah, let me, let me work on this. Yeah. Yes. And sometimes your manager is the one (laughs) being bad and you got to go to your manager's manager. Right. Then that's hard. There's there's a lot of ways this can go south. Um, we could have a whole podcast of sharing stories, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but yeah, I, I think the key point is that sometimes it's good to do as like learn and grow and stakeholder yeah. management and get better at this. And sometimes it's not you, it's right. them. And knowing when the difference is, is extremely valuable. Things can just be out of your control. Like there's a whole lot written about like influencing without authority, but you know what? Like influencing with authority could be a lot easier. I've seen this before where it's like, I've maybe tried pushing or saying, and then a senior person comes in and they say the same thing. And everyone's like, oh my God, like not like scramble, scramble, let's start working on this. Both because they, um, one, because that person's in a high level position, uh, you know, they sort of have the power to start making that happen, right? Um, but it's like part of their role to like do certain things. But also because just people are like, oh, if this really experienced person thinks we need to do this, like that must, you know, they're super smart. You know, that must be true versus like you little lowly junior person that it's easier to dismiss. So I don't know. I kind of like that because I think sometimes I can be a little hard on myself. I'm like, oh, like, why isn't this working? Like, I'm trying this. I'm trying this. And yeah, like you said, Jacqueline, it's it can be tough to know, like, all right, if I change tactics, if I try this other thing, like maybe this will succeed. But I think just knowing that sometimes things are out of your control is uh, comforting and will keep you from running yourself into the ground trying to change something that at the end of the day, you were just not in a position to change. Yeah. And I will, I will say just maybe it's like a wrap up that right there, this, Hey, I have this problem and it's how the organization is structured or running or like some organizational problem. I can see the problem. I am not enabled to solve it. Like I'm too junior too whatever. I can't solve it. But people kind of are looking at me asking like, why isn't, why are you not getting around this impossible problem? That has happened to me multiple times in my career. Every time I've beaten myself up about it, of like, well, what can I do? And blah, blah, blah. And like, at the end of the day, like in the postmortem after I've left that situation, I've always been, hey, there's nothing you could have done. And um, if anything, the only thing you could is like, maybe you could have noticed quicker that there's nothing you could have done, but like you tried your yeah. best and don't feel bad about that. So, whew. All right, with that, shall we take a break? Yeah. Oof. <laughs> Ready for some game? (laughs) I'm ready. 
Okay, so this week's game is the Newly Coworker game. Do do do. I actually don't know the theme song to the Newlywed game, but imagine I'm singing the Newlywed theme song. Do you? You're giving me. No, a lot. I, okay. I think I've heard of this game, but I've never like okay. watched it. Or so heard here's the how the game. I think it's a TV show. It's like an old thing. It's an old thing. Mm-hmm. Um, where what you do is you have a newlywed couple, and you ask both of them a question, and then you see. If they both give the same answer, then they mm. win. And if they don't get it right, they give different answers, they lose. Yeah. So, Wait, so you are, we are the gonna... newlyweds. Oh, sorry. Are we the newlyweds? No, no, we're not oh. the newlyweds. But I have three <laughs> personas here of stakeholders okay. for you, and you are going to be newly wed to them. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Yeah. No, the us getting married is a different podcast episode. Um, <laughs> so, okay, so the first, um, the first contestant out here that you're going to newly coworker with is a senior marketing manager. Se- sorry, a senior product manager at a at a um, e-commerce company um, that sells um, dentures. Puppies. Sure. What, oh, puppies. Like, no, you're right. Pictures? Puppies. That's our running gag. Puppies. Um, <laughs> Again, so, all ethically sourced. No puppies are yes, harmed. That's right. Puppies by mail. And so these. this is the product manager in charge of retention email. So they're the ones who like mm-hmm. set all, like design the products or whatever, design the emails, coordinate sending emails to people who already have puppies mm-hmm. to keep them buying more. This person, yeah. this this um, the stakeholder, they like quick results, actions, tangible decisions, or discussions with clear endpoints. Let's get things done. This stakeholder says. So you're going to play the, the newly coworker game with them. So I'm going to ask you a question. You're going to give me what you think they will answer, and I will tell you what they actually answered. We'll see if you get okay. it right. What is this stakeholder's biggest fear? So I think this stakeholder's biggest fear, is it like, I assume this is a work related, is it about yes, our relationship specifically? Data. Yeah, not like, not yeah, like yeah, But is it about like our, like wor- like their biggest fear around working with data science or just their biggest fear around the job? Let's say it's just biggest fear in okay. work. Um, so I think their biggest fear is that th- they won't be able to like move quickly and uh, have the information they need to make decisions. And so the result will be that uh, they won't be able to like make effective changes to like uh, increase retention. So I think that's a good answer. I, this, this stakeholder wrote that the team will get shut down, that they'll like the team huh. will get closed. But I think that's kind of like a second order effect of what you described. So like, yeah, I think that's a very thoughtful answer. What is their favorite room in the office? <laughs> Uh, the kitchen. The kitchen. Oh, I put, uh, sorry, they put a meeting room with a whiteboard. <laughs> <laughs> um, would they be more likely to be early to a meeting or late? Late. Late, that's right, because they have so many meetings yep. that they're on. Um, so many things to do. Behind. Okay. So that's one out of three on that. Okay. So that was the first, <laughs> the first match. I like The this. second right. match is the VP of Emerging Technology. So this is... At a large organization, they're the vice president of trying to do new and innovative things. They care about the vision. They care about the future. They don't want to miss the boat. That's a um, stakeholder. What is the tech trend they are most likely to get too caught up in? AI. Oh, I had blockchain. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> That's a good one, though. That's good. Big, what is the stakeholder's 
biggest pet peeve? Focus on this in the future. Uh, their biggest pet peeve is when people just like want to stick with the status quo that they're like uh, uh, afraid or like, you know, not interested in like thinking about like cool new tech and future. Yes, that's right. And specifically legacy tech systems. But mm-hmm. yes, that's exactly right. Good job. Ding, ding, ding. Um, I should have been making the ding, ding, ding <laughs> sound effect the whole time. Uh, are they more likely to want to hire an external vendor or ask an internal team to do something? Internal team. That's right. Don't give that new innovation to outside companies. Mm-hmm. You train your team to do it. Good job. So I think that's two out of three. Ding, ding for you. Um, and here's the final contestant to possibly be in the newlywed with coworker. This <laughs> struggle keeping this up. So this is a manager of a data engineering team. Their goal is to get all the data into, of the company into one place, create a 360 data ecosystem um, for an easy experience for anyone to get the data they want um, in, a, in a nice combined data set. Now, does this, does this stakeholder prefer to try new technology or leave things alone? Leave things alone. That's right. They don't like, they, they are managing so much data. The last thing they want to do is puts up, you know, puts around with something that's already working. Um, what is their favorite database technology? <laughs> um, I've never heard of a 360 data ecosystem, but all us, uh, favorite data SQL. SQL. I had Hive SQL. So good, close, close enough. Close. And then lastly, what is a job title they would quit this job for if they would get somewhere else? <sighs> um, vice president of data engineering. Yes, I put yes, I put head of data engineering. So yes, ding 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 ding. Yeah. Good job. That was pretty good. I'm impressed. <laughs> I didn't know how well this was gonna work out. But yes, you you win the newly coworker game. <laughs> what do I win? That Last was interesting. I, yeah. Yeah. Last week I got Caitlin Houdin uh what was it? Like a model of her cleaning data? I don't a remember. diorama of diorama. her removing duplicate yes. um, ideas. Yeah. So what do yeah. I win this week? <laughs> Oh, I didn't know I need to have a... Um, you gotta have a prize every week, Jacqueline. Why am I, okay, why am I now, now that's precedent, starting episode 13, mm-hmm. we're going to have prizes. Okay, good. Um, yeah. Really real prizes. It's <laughs> uh. so good, a good thing we ripped off from a different show. I like it. So. Yeah, but that, 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 was, <laughs> that was a fun game. And I think that was kind of showing, right, is like, you know, obviously it's a game, but like I could not directly ask the stakeholders anything and that you are able to you know, infer from context, like what you know about them, what their position at the company is, you know, what not just like, oh, they're the VP of this, but like, this is what specifically they're trying to do in this position. You're able to infer from that, um, you know, answers to some of these questions. Yeah, it's kind of amazing how little of a like, one dimensional stereotype of a person (laughs) I could give you and you could still give reasonable answers. Like, like, let's be real. That's kind of shocking. Yeah. Uh, Uh, with that, shall we wrap up this episode? That's our show for this week. Uh, check out our next episode where we discuss data science failures. Um, how projects and things can fail, not like people who are data science failures. <laughs> um, if you enjoyed the show, please leave us a review. Um, if you have a question or feedback, please send us an e- uh, email to our new email address, podcast at bestbook.cool. You can buy a copy of the book at bestbook.cool and use code BUILDBOOK40%, that's 40% symbol, for 40% off. Our theme song is by the extremely funny Matt Bouchelle, and thanks to our publisher Manning for helping our book exist. And may you never have package management issues.